Daniel chapter 6. We continue our journey through this great book of Holy Scripture. Daniel chapter 6. If you're new to the things of the Bible, open your Bible to the center and turn just a little bit that way. Daniel is about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. Daniel chapter 6. Hear now the word of the living God. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. This is the word of the living God, and together we say, Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Living God, we pray that your voice might be made clear to the ears of our souls through the preaching of your word now. Guard us from distractions. Guard us from doubt. Grant your people faith increasingly in life through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We begin our time together this morning with a question. Throughout these chapters in Daniel, we've often asked a question as we've heard the word of God read. There are many questions we could ask about living life from Daniel chapter 6. But here's one particular question. That we can ask as we look at this chapter. What does suffering for godliness while in Babylon look like? It's a simple question really. But what does suffering for godliness. Suffering because you are seeking to be godly. To follow God's ways. What does that look like when you live in Babylon? Now those of you that are new to the things of the scriptures. Daniel is one of God's people, and he literally is in an Old Testament city called Babylon. His people were carried off there some 550 years or so before the birth of Jesus Christ. So this is 2,500 years ago. And yet from this story, the rest of the Bible uses the city, the real city of Babylon, as a picture of the world all around us. If you read the book of the Revelation, you will see that Babylon becomes the symbol Not a city in the Middle East, but it becomes the picture, the metaphor, the 
kind of the quintessential city for what the world looks like as it hates God. So we, God's people, who have come to God through the saving blood of Christ, still in a sense live in Babylon. We're waiting for the new Jerusalem that day when Christ returns and we will be with him forever and ever. But just like Daniel, we too, if you will, are in exile in Babylon. All around us are people who breathe air and live life in a way that is not the way of God. So a fair question this morning, what does it look like to suffer for godliness while we walk the streets of Babylon? We meet a new king, don't we, in Daniel chapter 6. At the very end of Daniel chapter 5, the second king that we met, Belshazzar, is wiped out in a day. In fact, the Babylonians are attacked and they lose their kingdom. And Darius, the Mede, Daniel 5.31 says, receives the kingdom. And it's in our next verse in Daniel chapter 6 that it's this Darius that chooses to set up Daniel as a leader among all the people there. What does it look like? Then for Daniel and brothers and sisters, what does it look like for you and for me to suffer for godliness while we walk the streets of Babylon? I think we could see at least three things this morning. Daniel was a man that was rejected by men. Daniel was a man that is rejected by men and brothers and sisters. If you seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, the scripture says you will be rejected by men and women. Daniel was rejected by men. If you're going to walk the streets of Babylon and claim the name of King Jesus, you will be at some point in your life rejected by other people. The second thing that we see is that Daniel suffers for godliness by relying on God. Daniel's reliance is on God. It's on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And one of the things that we see as he suffers for godliness is that towards the end of his days, Daniel would be rescued by the true king. Rescued by the true king. So rejected by men, relying on God, and rescued by the true king. Let's look at these three simple truths this morning as we look at Daniel 6. Firstly then, suffering for godliness' sake in Babylon will cause you to be rejected by men. That's what we see in these opening verses, 1 through 9 in Daniel chapter 6, don't we? Look, there are just a few verses. They're gathering together. You can see it, can't you? They're jealous. They want to find a reason for bringing up a charge against Daniel. Verse 3 says that Daniel distinguished himself. And the Scripture says he does so above all of the other governors and satraps. Boys and girls, this would be other kinds of officers, helpers to the king. And the reason the text says is because an excellent spirit was in him and because he was faithful. We've seen this in Daniel's life before. But verse 4 tells us that no error or fault could be found in him. That doesn't mean that Daniel was sinless. That Daniel was known as a man who was faithful. He was dependable. And so what do they do? We've got to get rid of Daniel. He's in our way. His faith bothers us. And the only way that we're going to be able to get rid of this man that we are rejecting is, verse 5 says, if we 
find some charge against the law of his God that he has committed. Not that that Daniel breaks God's law, but that if we could find a way to make his God's law a problem for us and our people, we'll get him. Well, the other leaders trick the king, don't they? They get together, and you can see it. They, They enter into the king's throne room. King Darius, live forever. King, all of us have gathered together, all of all of the administrators, the counselors, and we've come up with a plan. Of course, Darius, depending on these men, listens. And here's their plan. Boys and girls, it goes like this. For 30 days, King Darius, we want you to make it a law throughout all of the kingdom that no one can pray to any god or any man except you. 30 days. And if one is found breaking this decree, he or she should be thrown in the lion's den. And of course, one of the details that Daniel chapter 6 reveals to us is that in this part of time and in this culture, if a king were to sign certain kinds of decrees, even the king himself could not rescind it. Sign it in such a way, king, that it would be according to the law of the Medes and Persians. Make it airtight. And Daniel 6 verse 9 says, King Darius signed the written decree. Let me ask us this this morning. Are we willing to be hated because we belong to God and follow his ways? It's a question for us. Are we willing to be hated because we belong to God and his ways? Think about what these men are doing. The only way that we're going to get Daniel in trouble is if we put his God's laws and his practice of godliness at odds with our kingdom. Think about being known as someone that you could trip up for being godly with Daniel. Question for us some 2,500 years later. Are we willing to be hated because we belong to God and his ways? But what happens? These men reject Daniel. They're jealous of him. They don't like his God. They don't like his practices. They don't like that God by his spirit has worked in his heart in such a way that he is faithful. That he does his job. That he seeks the good of the city. Daniel's rejected by men. And we will be too. We will be too. The second theme that we see in this text, though, is that Daniel suffers for godliness by relying on God. Let's continue the story in verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees Three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Boys and girls, that's asking God for things. Taking needs to God. That's what Daniel was doing. Verse 12. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. 
have you not signed a decree? that They're acting surprised. Can't you see the drama here? That's like, Didn't you sign this decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. That's an interesting detail. From the beginning, Darius wants to find a way to deliver Daniel. Listen to his sleepless night saga here. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king established may be changed. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. So here we see Daniel rejected by men for seeking to be godly. But what does he do? He relies on God. Notice what the text tells us in verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room, he prays. The word of God is very clear. Daniel prays knowing what has occurred. And notice that he prays with his windows open. Now, I don't know if you grew up in the church, if you went to Sunday school. Some of you might have just come to the faith. You didn't grow up in church. Others of you could tell this story with every detail. And maybe growing up, you heard the story and you're thinking, why would he pray with his windows open? Isn't that sort of just asking for trouble? But Daniel was a man of the word. Notice what the text says. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem. Now, have we ever in the scriptures prior to this point seen any discussion of the need to pray toward Jerusalem? I'm so glad you asked. Because we have. Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. There, there is a dedication of the temple. Solomon is praying a prayer of dedication. It's a long prayer. We won't read it all. But listen to just two parts of Solomon's prayer. Solomon would have been King David's son. And Solomon would have reigned many, many generations before Daniel. Just listen to 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 33. When your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. Now fast forward a few verses 
to 1 Kings 8, verse 46. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy far or near, yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you, In the land of those who took them captive, saying, We have sinned and done wrong. We have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies, who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name, then here in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer, and their supplication, and maintain their cause. Hundreds of years before Daniel, the work of God among Daniel's people went like this. There's going to come a day when God's people, the old covenant people, sin. And they're going to be carried off as a punishment. But, O Lord, Solomon prays, when the day comes... That in that land of captivity, they pray to you and they pray toward your land, which is exactly what Daniel is doing. With his window wide open, you will hear their prayer. See, Daniel was a man well trained in the word of God among his people. So this is not Daniel being showy with his prayers. This is not, hey, let me open my window and let my friends hear my holiness. No, this is God From ages past, this is what you have done among your people. And this is what you have promised. So I'm praying to you three times a day toward your holy city that you might hear our prayers and bring us back. And notice what the text says in verse 10. He prayed three times and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since the early days. We've seen this already, but Daniel was a man marked by a pattern of prayer. There's a reliance here on God. Now think about the temptation for Daniel. Daniel has now risen in three separate kingdoms. Well, two kingdoms led by three separate kings. He's risen to the highest point possible. Don't you think it would be tempting to be prideful? Don't you think it would be tempting for Daniel to say, look, all those years that I prayed as a kid and watched my parents pray and we were crushed. But I've risen to the heights of power. Daniel is faithful. He has a good spirit in him. And he continues to pray. Brothers and sisters, you may be at the very top of your game. You you may be in the position of all positions, the highest place that you could imagine. Do you have a pattern of prayer? Is it regular for you to rely on God and to seek his face? Now, there's another detail about this prayer. How long, boys and girls, do you remember? How long was it that the decree lasted for? Verse 7 tells us. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the state traps, the counselors, they all get together and they say, what? They say, 
Whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you. To which I ask this question once more. Wouldn't it be very tempting for Daniel to kind of cut off praying for 30 days? Just, just 30 days. It's just a month. Sinclair Ferguson, writing on this text, writes this, quote, We may well ask ourselves in this context if it would make any substantial difference in our lives or the lives of our church fellowship if prayer were banned for the next 30 days. It's a thought-provoking question. Would it make any difference to us to be told, knock off the prayers just for a month? Daniel suffers for godliness and he's rejected by men. He suffers for godliness, but he does it by relying on God. Here's a question for us to consider then. Are we willing to let our faithfulness to God, our reliance on him and our love for his law, be our earthly ruin? Now, Daniel, as you know, in just a few moments, lives another day. But it doesn't look like that for Daniel on multiple occasions. It looks like he's being faithful to the living God and it's going to bring about his end. Are we willing to let our faithfulness to God and his law be our earthly ruin? If you knew living for King Jesus will mean that I, in terms of the earthly realm, that I will be ruined. What would you do? What does it look like to live in exile in Babylon and to suffer for godliness? Well, you will be rejected by men. But will you, will I, will we rely on God? As the world increasingly puts pressure on us to give up godliness, to quit with the praying just for 30 days, just a pinch of incense, just a little change, just nuance the message just a little bit. Close the windows while you pray. You can still do your thing, just don't do it publicly. Does this sound familiar? You can have your beliefs in your church building, just don't bring them into the public square. In Daniel's case, it was only for a month. Will we rely on God as we're rejected by men while we're suffering for godliness? But in Daniel's case, there's a third truth, and it's actually true for each of us, whether we see it with our physical eyes now or we see it in days to come. And that is, we will be rescued by the true king. Let's continue the story. We pick up in verse 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting and no musicians were brought before him and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. You just picture the scene. Darius, Darius is rocked to his core, hoping that Daniel lives. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Oh, there's so much in that sentence that we could parse out. 
Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. The king's heard that once before in this passage, hasn't he? O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Verse 20. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you? What do you think it would have been like for Daniel all night? With the lions. I mean, the text doesn't tell us the internal psyche of Daniel. We need not dive into things that the text doesn't tell us. But the fair question is, Daniel is spending the night with ravenous lions. And their mouths are closed. Perhaps they're sleeping in the corner, purring like big kittens. Darius, Daniel, has your God been able to deliver you? What is Daniel's response? My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. Daniel is rescued by the living God, isn't he? Now notice in the king's question, Daniel's reputation is once more given. The king says to Daniel, Has the God, the living God, that you serve continually been able to deliver you? The king knows where Daniel's heart is. But he also says, has he been able? The world often asks the followers of God, what can your God really do? And here... For all to see, God acts. Now notice Daniel's response. He's respectful to the king. And then he says this. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before you. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. There's two parts to this. Daniel has done nothing wrong before the Lord. That's the first part. I was innocent before him. Daniel has not sinned. Daniel has followed God. But there's another little nugget that we get here. And if you think about it deeply, it's not a nugget that the world likes. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Daniel actually gives us a definition of what it's like to wrong other people in Babylon. You see, all of the people of the kingdom had created a definition of what it was like to wrong other people, to traumatize other people, not to love and accept other people. What does Daniel say? No, Daniel says... I have done no wrong before you. You see, wrong before others, even unbelievers, is defined according to God's law, not the whims and preferences of men. 
Now think on that. Let me say that one more time. Wrong before others is according to God's law, not the whims and preferences of men. Boys and girls, you're growing up in a world that tells you if you're going to love your God, that's fine. But you need to love me by accepting this, 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 this and this. And if you don't, it's not loving. And that's putting it kind of mildly. But Daniel absolutely cuts through all of that. I was faithful to God. Therefore, I didn't do any wrong against you. The whims of your people cooking up this design and the preferences that they have and perhaps even that you have, King, is not the definition of what is wrong before you. Well, Daniel credits the living God for rescuing him, doesn't he? Verse 22, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. The story continues. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children and their wives. And the lions overpowered them. And broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Interesting detail. Daniel was not saved because the lions weren't hungry. They were ravenously hungry. And the judgment of King Darius was that the men who had cooked up this evil plot would all be destroyed. And Daniel would live. Isn't this often the case that we see throughout the text of Scripture? We see it in the book of Esther, don't we? Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Have we ever seen a king in the book of Daniel write a letter proclaiming the glories of God? Yes, we have. Now we have another. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. And his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues. Keep that in mind. Because remember King Darius' question. Was your God able to deliver you? Now he proclaims to all the kingdom. The God of Daniel delivers. He is able. He rescues. And he works signs and wonders. In heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Verse 23 tells us that God rescues Daniel because of his faith. Look there with me. Verse 23. Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. We're given commentary on this verse later on in the Bible. Turn to the very end of the Bible with me, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you're new to the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11 is a long list of people from the beginning all the way to this point in the Bible who trust God by faith. Towards the end of chapter 11, what do we read? We read these words. 
And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obeyed promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. It's it's like a long list of things that Old Testament believers did by faith. Now here's the point that we need to make clear. The message of Daniel chapter 6 and his rescue is not that you will always be physically rescued from the lion's dens of this world. You might be. I might be. No, in Daniel chapter 6, we're given a picture. A believer in God is rejected by men. He relies on God. And we actually see with our eyes in the text his being set free, his rescue. But down through the ages, there were those who followed God by faith. And their rescue did not come before the end of their days. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, there are some who are discussed as stopping the mouths of lions like Daniel. But there are others who were, quote, sawn in two. The life of faith is not defined as if you have enough faith, you will be freed physically. But rather. God is glorified as we walk with him by faith. What happens? Daniel has faith. He believes in his God and he's rescued. Compare that with the outcome of these counselors. They don't have faith in God. And they're destroyed. A word here for us, brothers and sisters. Do we have faith in the living God? Do we believe that this God has purposed from all eternity to free us from our sins in Christ? Do we have faith that this God gave a promise? And we can read of that promise in the book of Genesis, and we can trace that promise all throughout the Bible. Do we believe that this God's promise came true, that some 2,000 years ago, the Son of God was born fully God, And assumed to himself a human nature and became fully man and lived out the life as a man that we are called to live and fail to do. That he was perfectly godly. That he was perfectly glorifying of God. That he was crucified. And that as the scriptures say, when he died on the cross, God poured out the judgment for sinners. All the sinners who would ever trust in him onto Christ. Do you have faith that this is the God that you are trusting? And that this Christ paid for your sins, that he was raised, that he offers eternal life to any and all who would receive him, who would be covered in his robes of righteousness, that he would take on their sins and be crushed on the cross in their stead. You see, we don't get all of those details when we read the words, Daniel believed God. 
But the God that Daniel believed was the God that had told Daniel's people, there is coming a savior. There is coming a Messiah. There is coming a king. In fact, one day when you get to the land, it's going to seem like that promise is never going to happen because the promise has to happen here in the land. And here you are, you're outside the land. What does David do? God, you have given us promises. I said David, but I mean Daniel. God, you have given us promises. You've said you're going to bring us back. You're going to bring about this day. So I'm going to kneel down as your word says, and I'm going to pray toward your city. The very city where one day, some 600 years later, the king of kings and lord of lords would be crucified for sinners. Now a closing question. Daniel was rescued from the pressures and the persecutions of the world of Babylon for being godly. We might be. We might not be. But do we believe that Christ will soon come and set us free from the lion's den of this world? Picture it with me. Daniel, sitting through the night, praying, maybe singing psalms. The mouths of the lions are closed. In the dark, pitch black. All throughout the night. And in the morning, there are the rumblings. The stone is being pulled back by the soldiers. The light begins to peer in. Perhaps it bothers Daniel's eyes because he's been sitting in the dark all night long and he hears the voice of the king. And he's freed. One day a king will open the dark den that we are in, brothers and sisters. The Babylon lion's den that we are in. Surrounded by the taunts of this world. And the true king, not Darius, but King Jesus, will peel back all that binds us as we seek to live for him in this world. And we will be rescued by the true and living king. We will hear his voice. But brothers and sisters, that voice is not going to be my servant. Has your God been able to save you? The voice will instead be, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Almighty God, make of your people a people willing to suffer for your name, willing to suffer for godliness' sake, not to accomplish our salvation, but because of what you have done. You've shown us mercy when we didn't deserve it. You've forgiven our pride and our arrogance. You've wiped away our sins, placing them on the cross. Your son has shed his blood. His body was crushed that we might be forgiven. Help us, O Lord, to live with that in view each and every day. And when the world taunts us, when the world tells us to knock off of our godly ways, give us a resolve 
Not to have a name for ourselves, but to depend and rely on the King who loved us and gave himself up for us. Help us, O Lord, we pray. Help the children and the teenagers in this place, we pray. Give us, O Lord, the grace we need should the dens of the lions be opened in our day. We long, Lord, to rely on you in these things. By your Spirit, give us grace, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.